Hi everyone, welcome to the Blue Sky Podcast, Two Pints of Lager and a Spreadsheet. I'm Dave Gibson and I'm here with my co-founder, John Dudgeon. Today our special guest is Johnny Britton, co-founder and CEO of Lantech. On this week's episode, we'll be chatting about the importance of culture in a hybrid workplace. Why it's vital for co-founders to have specific accountabilities. And sometimes a leader needs to behave like a boxer. So, Johnny, welcome. Um, it's a pity this is just a podcast rather than video because you are a good-looking and athletic guy. <laughs> uh, t- tell us a bit about Johnny Britton and tell us a bit about Lantech. Uh, you've just said it all in, in, one, in one intro. That's it. Done the podcast. I'm happy to be known as just an athletic and good-looking guy. Done. See you later. <laughs> okay, we'll call, we'll call that a wrap then. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um Okay, so well, I'm, I'm Johnny Britton, the co-founder, CEO of Landtech. Landtech is a prop tech startup, uh, or you should, I guess scale up now. Um, it, it, what it does is it brings together the data to assess any piece of land for its development potential and um, the workflow tools so that you can assess lots of pieces of land and find the best ones and then try and do a deal with the landowner. So um, this the land is predominantly not for sale. It, it, you can prospect pieces of land and find really good ones. You can store hundreds of them in our platform. They could be at various stages of progression. Uh, you could be talking to a landowner or you could be trying to build that relationship with a landowner. And then you can build a project around that piece of land. So you can bring your partners in to assess it further. You can bring external partners in to, to add bits of information or to, to collaborate over the site. It becomes the project. Um, we want to take you through planning and we also help you get the funding for that site. So it's an end-to-end solution to unlock pieces of land to find and assess and then and buy pieces of land. And I, I think you also said you could describe me as a migrated Geordie. Now we're, we're based in London. We're just about to pass 200 people. Um, it, it's been a, a really great success story. We've, 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 we've done really well, grown to um, eight figures in revenue in the last few years and just raised about $50 million in revenue, uh, in, in funding, sorry, and, and, and going to take this solution to the US this year. Yeah, we, we kind of knew that, which is why, uh, again, the listeners won't say that, but when you said startup, me and John both shook our heads. Uh, <laughs> I think, I th- I think you, you'll be on that stage now, uh, Johnny. Uh, wh- where did the idea come from? Okay, so, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to say that I, I just kind of thought about it when I was in the bath, you know, or something like that. Um, but it, it, it did evolve, and it started off with my co-founder. He's a software engineer living in London, um, and couldn't afford to buy a, a property. The house prices are so expensive and got kind of curious about what his alternatives were and um, started looking into self, self-building. Um, self-building, it, he, he found he could, he, could, he could potentially do this. He's, he's, he loves putting things together. Uh, he, could, he, could go, he went to the self-build shows and worked out the designs and what he would like to do and could find his tiles and his you know his kitchen and and the materials etc but he couldn't find a place to put it 
and living in, uh, in, in he was in Shoreditch at the time, which eight years ago was a bit run down and, and edgy and bit grungy, but on its way up. There's loads of land everywhere. Um, you know, there's there's factories just sitting there, derelict and um, just normal houses in the middle of kind of busy, bustling streets. And he starts to think, so maybe I could just put my house on that piece of land over there. So who owns it? And he, and he couldn't really work out who owned it. Uh, and well, how many, it looks like you could maybe do more than one house. How many houses could you put on there? And um, wait a minute, why is nobody else doing anything with this piece of land? It's a prime prime London. And, and kind of went down a rabbit hole and, and explored that idea further and realized that there's 4 million wannabe self-builders in the country, but they can't, they no one's building very much because they can't find any land. So he set out to solve that problem and at that point, he got accepted into an accelerator program in London and reached out for a co-founder to join. And, uh, and and randomly, I was stuck in a snowdrift in the northeast. And, and so... Um, Middle of summer then, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I wouldn't normally be on Twitter so much, uh, but because um, I, was, I had nothing else to do, I couldn't leave, my car was snowed in, um, I... I was on social media and I saw a tweet from from this from someone in our network retweeting his his statement saying he was looking for a co-founder. Uh, so I was kind of in the right place online at the right time, and uh, and, and I, I was looking for a new project at the time. So really interested. We and um, we we eventually two weeks later we set up a business together to to tackle this problem, but we failed in that. We, we weren't able to find a solution to, to how to help self-builders find land. They, they didn't understand the planning process and um, they didn't know how to value a piece of land. So they couldn't do deals with landowners. It's too complicated. But, the, but our idea was to bring all this information together so they could assess the value and, and opportunity of a piece of land and the actual property developers wanted it. So they were really, really trying to get this product from us. And um, our theory moved from being, if we can help self-builders find land and, and help the build supply in that part of the market, rather than doing that, we could help enable property developers to be more productive and build more, more homes and properties. Um, we could actually help solve the housing crisis. So we, um, we were really pleased that I kind of had this big social angle as well as it turned out to be a really good business. Um, so even though I was a town planner by training and moved into software development, I can't claim to have developed the idea it was like an evolutionary process, but following the core problem of how do you um, help people build homes? I, I, I guess, sorry, John, I guess that's a path so many successful businesses take in that, you know, you start off with, with, with a problem, but and your first solution doesn't work and then you end up taking a left turn or something and all of a sudden, you know, the doors open and, and away you go. Um, you had a question, John? Yeah, I'm just, uh, it's just fascinating that you sort of met your co-founder in, in those circumstances and, you know, you've managed to forge a strong business relationship over like seven, eight years and it's been so successful. Have you got any advice around like how you made that happen? It's kind of like, feels like a bit of an online marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, online is where most relationships get formed these days, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, well, it's a, it's a good question, actually, because 
you know, what, what, how did we learn that we could trust each other? And um, how did we know we could work together and, and all of these things? And uh, what one key piece of advice, I think, is that um, is to sort, sort some of the, the issues out up front that are going to cause problems later on. So um, a lot of times over the years, we've met hundreds of startups and, and, and a lot of the reason that they fail is that founders fall out. And, and a large part, part of that friction point is because they haven't sorted equity out properly in the, in the first place. And so they start to complain about who's putting in more effort or who's, um, you know, who's doing better work or, or whatever it is. And we were just like quite, uh, I don't know, um, well advised, I guess. I wouldn't say we were knowledgeable about about it all, but um, well advised to sort these issues out, and um, and that enabled us to to feel both equally bought in, and um, and and we divided the roles out between us uh, very clearly about uh, you know from the start, and so we didn't try and um, compete for who was doing which project. It was quite clear. So, so some basic pieces of advice uh, saw, us, saw us through a long way um, and I definitely recommend. I, I do remember meeting you both way back then. It was really clear on that first meeting that you'd uh, who was doing what and what the role profile was and kind of where the accountabilities and responsibilities sort of lay. And I guess that probably laid, as you say, the foundations um, all these all these years later as well. And then I suppose as well, the role of CEO, I guess, t today compared to then, I guess it's completely different as well. And I, I, what do you do every day, Johnny? Like, what, what's the crack there? <laughs> Another good question that I, 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 I don't really, I, I don't really have a day-to-day -day routine. I, I, in, I, in many ways, I, I crave just a, some, some mindless jobs I can just do for an hour or so, but um, <laughs> it, it's... Uh, it's like very, podcasts. <laughs> um, I, I could, I, I don't know, we'll see how this one goes. <laughs> um, so at the, at, I guess it, it has changed massively over time. I, I, I was heavily involved in that first period of um, being the product manager as, as well as Andrew to kind of make that pivot into the new market and, and what the, the defining features that we should launch with were. Um, but that was... And then, and then you, then you're the first salesperson, and then you, and then you, um, you have to become a marketing person. And over time, and and, and finance and all and all of that stuff, and, and then you start to hire managers to to do each of those roles. So you have to kind of um, step back a bit. Sometimes it's quite painful to make that transition because you actually loved to do it and and got some success there. Um, and and then so you have to become a manager of managers. And, and which is a very different mindset of just everyone just scrapping around and, and mucking in to make things work. And then you hire managers of managers, and then you have to become like a leader. And, and that's again, very different. So it's more like where I'm at now, which is about what's the vision? What is the direction we're going in? Where do we want the business to be in a year, two years, three years? How are we gonna capitalize the business to get there? Um, who should the C-suite hires be that can also be leaders of, of managers? Uh, and um, and how do you, you know, differentiate yourself? Differentiate yourself. Differentiate differentiate yourself. I'll get there eventually in the market, um, both from uh, an, 
in an employer value proposition point of view, as well as um, as a as a kind of proposition to the clients. So it's it's very very different now, and, and I'm constantly striving to 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 do these things well, and um, it keeps me very very busy. Do you know what? That was a class answer. That and uh, you know, if we had the camera on. Would see Dave. Did he seem like making loads of notes about like this is what CEO does? <laughs> I've, uh, my, my role as CEO involves me kind of being told by John what to do most most days. So. <laughs> We've all got different styles of leadership, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's not like sometimes. Sometimes you have, like you have to be that that role I described, and you're at the front saying this is where we need to get to. Everyone figure out how we're going to get there, and then. Um, and that's really hard to do. It's not like you just, like you just make it up. You have to have a process and, and you have to um, take people through all that and um, get them engaged and know what your capabilities are and, and what's feasible. And, you know, and, and, and that takes time. And then once sometimes it's a big shift in what you were doing before. And then you kind of you're not in front of the business anymore. You're behind it, pushing people along and um, enabling like the right incentives to be in place and, and, and whipping a little bit if you need to. And, and other times you're off track and then you need to be standing next to them, figuring it out with them in the room. And uh, it's just a very varied job, I find. A, a great phrase I had from a, a leader's point of view in a, in a previous life. I, had, I, I was leading a team and, and um, you know, of course, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't the technician in the team. There were team of techie guys and like I, I couldn't do anything like that for Toffee. And, and somebody said to one of my leads there, what does Dave actually do? And, and his response was brilliant. He said, well, Dave's like the oil in the engine. You know, it's just removing barriers and just just, just keeping things going kind of thing. And I really like that song. That, that, that's what I'm going to put my headstone. Um, you know. but, but you're right, be, being a leader um, involves um, being hands off and just, just enabling people to do what they do best. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not rocket science really, is it? No, I think as well, like when you're a founder and co-founder, you spend so much time like, you know, you've got your your business strategy plan, you've got where we're going in five years and, you know, looking forward. And a lot of, you know, our clients as well don't afford themselves that opportunity just to sort of look back down the mountain and kind of think, wow, what, what a fantastic journey we've been on and where, you know, everything we've sort of learned and, and kind of how things have, uh, you know, the ups and downs as well. And can you, th I mean, over that journey, what what's been the highlights? I mean, you've raised, you've been through a couple of raises, built the team, and all the rest of it. Like, what what gets you out of bed these days? So, uh, yeah, it's. I would say that um, one of the things I'm, I'm I'm very kind of proud of, and if I look back, it, it's uh, and, and what we need to keep on working very hard at is um, is the way that we 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 conduct business. And we've always been uh, um, very big on culture and and the component parts of what a culture is and how does that manifest itself into um, in, into being a good place to work and, and getting a kind of a little bit extra out of people um, and, and 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 that that changes massively over time. It's it's when there's thirty people sitting around a few tables. You, you feel like a squad and everyone knows what's going on and everyone's engaged and making all the big decisions. But when you have 200 people, um, it's it's a lot about a, a crisp 
um, mission and purpose statement and and what it means to to work at the company and how you interact with each other and then employing people who fit that mold and um and so it's, it's a constantly evolving um, moving set of targets that that you want to be striving for and and we've we've always done that really well we invested heavily in the kind of hr and people teams to to turn um, thoughts and ideas into concrete processes and um and to scale that up in a, in a better way than i could have done it myself so um when you start to get a bit uh, we're remote first now so it's it's new new kind of ways of doing things and how do you keep that that loyalty and that feeling of being part of a tribe when you know you don't actually meet your colleagues very often and 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 um and and see that the you get to a kind of inflection point where you've got this in place about who you are who your personality of the company is and then i know when every week we have about 10 people now and every month and I'll, I'll meet them and they'll all be in, aligned with these cultural values that we have and um and but how how do you know that they are finding it between each other and so especially when you're remote and in different time zones so these are the kind of things um that uh keep keep me uh into interested in and um and that that but the reason why I go on about that so much is I always found it was our it was our secret source and um and knowing that if you've got a new challenge which you had many many challenges whether it's a competitor or a global pandemic or um you know uh cash flow problems or whatever it is you all, all companies have these problems but knowing that you've got a culture that are going to adapt and flex because they're the right kind of people who want to be there is, is really important I remember um we were speaking a couple of weeks ago about my last meeting before lockdown was in your offices and I remember the buzz in the office and you know it was kind of we'd done it we we're having a few conversations I mean you were having a chat and everyone just started walking out of the office and I was like Johnny like it's like half three like what's going on you, you know what's what and you were like well lockdown it's COVID we've just sent an email out to tell everyone to work from home and I was like COVID what's that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we got on that early. We have a lot of people and very technical skills, and they tend to be quite particular about a lot of things, yeah. um, and they get worried easily. Oh, it was amazing though, because I rang Dave on the train coming home, and I was—I think it was a Thursday. I was—I was like, I think we need to close the office tomorrow and like see see what's going on. You know, I've just been to Lantech, and it's it's going off in London, and we did, didn't we? We closed the office the next day, and then that was it for. Well, even even today, I'm in, I'm in there, and you know, there's 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 five of us in here. It's never been the same since. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of years, hasn't it? And you're right, that culture is is the glue that keeps businesses together now, um, rather than the sort of the coffee machine or, or whatever it was before. Yeah. And um, jumping back to a comment you made earlier there, Johnny, did did I pick it up that you you speak to all the new hires anyway? Yeah, I, I have like a in, induction with them all. Yeah, I try, I try, I try and speak to everyone in in person as well if I can. I, I think that's awesome, and that that's right because I think so many CEOs in in your position with a, a business of your size just, just wouldn't bother in inverted commas with uh, with everybody in that way and might might concentrate on like the level or two uh, below themselves. But um, I, you know, what what benefits do you find out of that? 
how does that kind of ring your bell? Well, first of all, Dave, I'll say I'm not perfect at it. I was in the office yesterday and I was chatting to someone new, um, just asking how they're getting on, how they're settling in. And they were like, oh, great, I've been here eight months now. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't bump into them before then. Um, there's a lot of people and a lot of people to forget. Um, so that that I, I find that it, few people can replicate the passion of a founder and um and you know we worked really hard at a few things done some things really well and when people can um imbibe some of that culture that they feel and then um some of the hear some of the success stories about um you know the how we're massively having an impact in the housing market and um our clients are to revolutionize our clients work and then they they meet a founder who's who's passionate about what they do, and it's it's not just about results, results, results. It's about doing things in the right way with a purpose, and and seeing that the story um, is it goes from top to bottom. I think that that really makes it real for them. And we mentioned at the beginning you're a you're a Geordie lad, and um, do you get back up to Newcastle sort of these days much? Apart from for the footy. <laughs> um, I don't get up as much as I would like to, and my mum always tells me this. <laughs> so, Johnny, you've got quite a young family as well. So, how, how does that kind of dovetail with building a successful business? How do you manage your time? Yeah, I definitely work less hours, and I think that's probably a good thing. I, I, I'm a big believer in balance and um, and lots of time off. We've got we got loads of time off in our business. We 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 give people a day off for their birthday. Um, if if people um, get 10, 10 or more people together from our business and they go on holiday or something like that, organise something between them, we give them up to three days off a year just as a kind of team bonding uh, way of solidifying that culture. So it, it, it's not, it's not um, a negative. It, it, it makes people work harder and um, feel better and want to want to be in the office and, and, and want to be in a company which reduces uh, you know the need to hire so often and, um, and and they learn what the other people do which in a kind of verticalized uh, industry player like ours it, it helps understand the customer, the customer better so these things are both irrational and rational but um, yeah I'm just a big believer in uh, it, it made a massive difference to a lot of things. I think uh, it, it's really stressful being a founder and a CEO, no doubt. So I've had many nights where I would wake up in the middle of the night sweating, thinking about the big pitch I had in the next day or um, the problems that we had in the business. But when when a, and a baby wakes you up in the middle of the night, it's not your own thought process. It kind of knocks a lot of those old bad habits out of the way. So I, I haven't, I've, I've really loved um, having a more distractions and more reasons to take time off. That, that, that sounds class. I can see that in uh, in John um, as well, who, you know, around his two two hours a day of work is, is paddleboarding and taking the kids to school and picking them up again. Paddleboarding? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we managed to drop paddleboarding into every podcast uh, that, that we do, so. Yeah, the other thing we ask in every uh, podcast as well is, uh, well, nearly every podcast, because sometimes I forget, what, what's your favourite pattern of crisps? <laughs> uh, 
I didn't I didn't see that one coming. Um <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a deep and meaningful question that I feel like if I don't give a very good answer for, my reputation could be damaged imperatively. <laughs> so true. Um I, I've probably eaten more Pringles than any other type of crisp, but does that count as a packet? Ah, I think I'll so. do. It's more of a brand, isn't it? But, but yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, go yeah. with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, but I've eaten a lot of other um, uh, salt and vinegar McCoys and 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 pickle, uh, pickled onion monster munch. Back in the day, discos used to be really yeah. good. Um, We've had Space Raiders and uh, was it Spicy Knickknacks? Knickknacks, yeah, they were great crisps. Uh, we'll get back to some sensible questions now. Yeah, so I'll jump in back to that then. So, so, so initially you were a town planner. What, what, what you know, when you were running around the playground at school, is that was that your, your burning passion to, to to do something like that? How how did how did you get into how did you get into that? Well, um, I'm from Langley Park, so Langley Park's an ex mining community in in northwest Durham. I remember quite clearly uh, how I got into in, an interested land, and um, it was two two things. First of all, um, they suddenly realised that Langley Park could be quite a good commuter village into into Newcastle or around Durham, and uh, and suddenly where I used to play with all my friends and they were in the backfields all play fo- football and everything were they were turned into a housing estate and. Um, and I was all like, "Well, I didn't know that was going to happen. Should we not? Should we not have had a say in all that? We would have blocked it if we could." Um, we ended up moving into one of those houses. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I was a kid, you know. I was like eight years old at the time. So, uh, but then they did something similar. Where I used to walk my dog by the river. They turned it into an um, atrocity, which is Diggerland, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm going to leave the podcast now. I know that. No, I, I, I'm, I'm not like Mister Anti Diggerland. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it just, it just felt for me like uh, it had dropped the immediate value of the village quite a lot because it had a nice river running through it, and we used everyone used to walk the dogs down there. It was, it was pleasant, and and then they turned it into into that thing and um and I and I just got I was just really interested in it like this is how places develop and I was interested in kind of community rights and 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 trans and the transparency side of things so the and being able to make some data sets that give people more transparency it is has always been like a big part of the motivation so we've done things like um We've made a data set of all the planning applications, and we've got digitized policy, which tells you how everywhere is going to be developed. And we've linked back land ownership to all the company names, so you can map out who actually owns the whole of England and Wales, like from a corporate and subsidiary down to their subsidiary level, we tie it all back. So we've like been pioneers in making data transparency happen, and and it gradually uh, allowing more people to access that. So strong social motivations behind uh, behind what you're doing there. Um, well, yeah, I guess the community thing's always been quite big, especially being from where I'm in the northeast. Mm. For, for those that don't know, on the who are listening in the podcast, the great Bobby Robson's from Langley Park, isn't he? So, God rest his soul. He, he certainly is. Um, he, he he is, and also one of the drummers from Prefab Sprout was as well. <laughs> and my dad's auntie hilda <laughs> there you go all the best people yeah, absolutely yeah small world yeah um 
What does the future hold for Johnny? Beyond, I mean, we've got a lot to do in this company. You've, you've probably heard me get a bit hit up when you've, you've asked me about uh, some things and, and, and I, I, I'd like to push on, on some of those a lot more. I think we've got a lot of work to do. I still think people, people buy a property and, and they don't really know what they're buying or, or the place they're buying into. So I think we've got a lot of work in making this data more available. Um, we, we do, we've launched in the US and, and they've got, we were amazed to find that we've got a gap in the market for these kind of solutions. So hopefully we can add a lot of value there too. Um, we're building out a full suite of products so that we can do like more of the end-to-end -end, uh, process of buying those pieces of land. And, um, and then, then we want to enable more people to get into property development. There's a lot of training courses. It's quite hard to get into it at the minute. There's not really a, you can't just go to university and become a property developer. So we want to enable people to do a bit more, use some of our data sets to, to, to analyze and, and get some really interesting insights from, and then um, who knows, sell a business in five or 10 years time and, uh, and, and, and do some interesting new projects. Johnny, any further questions there? No, I think uh, I've really really enjoyed uh, the time together here. It's been it's been brilliant. We've covered covered loads, and uh, Johnny, yeah, it's just been a pleasure working with you all these years. And um, you know, uh, seeing Lantech sort of growing to what it is today, and you know, the future's uh, going to be great for you guys. So uh, and uh, yeah, just thanks for coming on the podcast. That's brilliant. Do you have Johnny? Do you have one last word of wisdom for for, for the listeners? <laughs> uh, word of wisdom. Yeah. Don't come on a podcast with John and Dave. Oh, I, was going, I was going to say something cheesy, like you've got to use these guys as accountants. They've been instrumental to our success. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You've caught me off guard there. I should have prepared that one. Did I know that was coming? Uh, uh, to be honest, I'll pick up with what you were saying with uh, when 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 you were kind of speed dating from a snowdrift there, and and it you know two weeks sounds like a, a very short honeymoon um, for a for a business partnership, but. Um, it feels like you've done it right there in terms of kind of working out um, not just what you want to do, but maybe, you know, how do you split the responsibilities out and what do you do when things go wrong? What are people's individuals' expectations? Do you want to tell us a little bit more around that, how you, how you approach that? Yeah, well, accountability is a, is a big thing. And, and again, um, that, that definitely changes as you get bigger. Uh, and, um, but one of the things and and we and we still kind of struggle with this is uh is that is that is that like you it's okay to fail and and um and in fact if you're not failing at least some of the time you're probably not doing impactful enough things like you don't you don't you don't have all the information you need to make decisions and so you've got to crack on and 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 make stuff happen and um, and 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 therefore we kind of reward we reward bravery. So we've 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 had people leave careers, come and work for us, set up product lines that haven't really taken off, and and they've got promotions rather than kind of exited from the business. So um, it, it's it's like keeping but keeping that attitude of it being okay to fail. And while you've got a lot of people, they've often come from corporate backgrounds. Uh, it is quite a hard thing to do as well. And so that's a, uh, something we work very hard on to try and push down that go fast, 
you don't always know everything. It's okay to fail approach. Um, but at the same time, they've got to have accountability and um, know why they're failing and not just do random things and, and not overlap on other people's areas of work. And, and um, so as long as, as long as people are doing things in line with kind of I don't know, professional standards, so to speak, like doing things uh, correctly uh, with a balanced view, um, it, 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 things go wrong all the time and we, we're okay with that as long as they go right some of the time in the right at the right times too. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I think, uh, you know, once you, as you move up the career ladder, you, you, you move out of situations where, you know, something's either black and it's white and you know, you get into situations where you've got a situation, there are three possible responses and none of them are entirely right and none of them entirely wrong. You just, just got to make a decision and go with it. Actually, that's, that's what I would say to that question about what was that one piece of advice. And I, and I think of it like um, you have to be like a boxer in that um, a boxer trains really, really hard, has a strategy, learns their opponent, but they don't just initiate a strategy when they're in the ring. They use their instincts to, to um, figure things out along the way. And so you have to... I think using your instincts, relying on your training, your expertise, your knowledge, but using your instincts is um, is often uh, it's not it's not even that trendy. People want data driven decisions, and um, but sometimes you just got to go go and do, go with your gut. That's brilliant. I think that's the world's greatest quote to finish on. Johnny Britton, thank you very much for your time. All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks Cheers. for having me. See you then.